So along similar lines, I, I just want to have a, a, just an honest and bold uh, talk today about what's going on in our world, and, and not because the headlines of the world are, are forcing us to talk. We, we, like my wife likes to say, we don't let the devil set the agenda, but I, I see and believe that God's spirit is on the move. And so I want to, like we always do, just get into God's word and, and, and get into God's heart. We, we've seen right now the, the, the recent event of, of the absolutely horrible and, and inexcusable killing of George Floyd and the collective response of our nation, which is good in that that's, wow, that is just not okay. That's wrong. That's evil. May that never happen again. And this unspeakable, unspeakable event has grabbed the attention of our country and there is opportunity for change. I believe the Spirit of God is at work because in the midst of the tumult and some of extreme responses, which we know are not good, there is absolutely opportunity for the church to shine God's heart because right now the collective attention of our, of our, of our country, of our city, is, is on this issue of race and race relations. So you know everybody's going to be bringing their message. The devil's going to be bringing his message. Because that's what people's attention is on right now. So politics are going to be bringing their, their message. Economics are going to be bringing their message. Hate is going to be bringing its message. And so now I believe in an important time for the church to be real clear. What's God's message? How can we step into this, the, the, what's going on in the tumult and shine the heart of God? And so I want to dig into... God's word, God's heart. What is the good news that Jesus brings to our culture right now? What is the heavenly solution that God has? I want to root ourselves deeply, biblically into God's word, as we always do in, in about any topic, any situation, any question. It's made the headlines of God's word inform us. Let his world, his word, and his world become our worldview. And may his word renew our minds to have more and more of the mind of Christ and not be conformed to the thinking of this world. So that's in some ways what we do every single week when we get into God's word. So I want to take us this morning on a in some ways, a quick journey through God's word, beginning, middle, and end, and, and then talk about some real practical steps. So from the beginning, the Bible is abundantly clear. From the beginning to the very end and at the cross in the middle, that racism in any form to any individual, to any group, or to any structure in society is absolutely a violation of God's heart, contrary to his will. So let's look here from the very beginning. Genesis 1, chapter 26 to 27. God said, Let us make mankind in our image. So real quick here, there's a better translation for the word mankind. 
the word is that sometimes that makes it sound male. There will be a differentiation between male and female in a, in a moment here. So this doesn't mean men. That's not what it's saying. In the moment here, it will. But this is just people. It's humans. Humanity. Let us make. This is the first thing God ever says about people, about humans. God's creating all these you know, various you know, bugs and fish and stars and all these awesome things. This is the first time humans are mentioned in the Bible. And what does it say? Let us make humanity in our image. That is such a massively deep theological reality. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, plural. Male and female, he created them. Three times in the first place where God mentions humans, the point is three times God's trying to say from the beginning, all of humanity is created in God's very image. We're different from everything else in creation. There is a stamp of divinity and a reality of his image in us, upon us. Spirit beings. We are spiritual creatures made to connect spiritually with God. We're not just flesh. We're not just matter and created matter. There's something absolutely holy that God has done. He has created us in his image image and therefore we are all all of humanity is equal in value to one another and of infinite value to God I mean you think about you're the creator of something you create something in your image it reflects you and if you are God who is infinitely valuable and you made something, the only thing in all of creation that's worthy to say, this reflects me. This is my image bearer. And therefore, in some ways so simple, no one should ever be treated inferior. So simple. And, and, and to the younger generation, to the kids out there, you, you, you've got, I think you get this. I think this is natural for you, and this may it always be. May this time in history be one where you just live this out. I was, I was talking with my kids about where we're going on Friday night, and we told them, hey, we're going, we're going to a, a, a love and unity prayer vigil and to, and to a march against racism. And they know what's going on. This one's old enough to know what's going on. He goes, oh, I want to come. I want to come. I want to march. I love black people. I love black people. <laughs> that was it. He just spontaneously. I was like, oh, <laughs> like, hey, it's not that kind of march. It's a, actually a silent march. But that's awesome. That's good that that's your just easy response. That hasn't always been that way in our world. And then, and then he goes on to say, he got a little more serious. And he's like, why would, would anyone ever do that? Why would anyone ever put a, a knee on a neck and just take a life? And the fact that that's, that that's a, a, a shock to him, that, that that doesn't even make sense, that why would anyone do that? I mean, he, 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 does, he, he knows a little bit of history. He, he'll, as he learns more, he'll know that, that it's happened more than once. 
But the fact that in his little heart, it's why would anyone do that? I mean, there's the solution right there. Those two things just have a gut level. Why would anyone do that? And let's love everyone. They're all created in God's image. So to you young people out there, be loud with, with those responses because we have a lot to learn in some ways how simple it can all really be when we live from God's heart. So moving on. At the end of the Bible, Revelation 5, 9 says this. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you. So this is the 24 elders and the creatures. They're gathered around the throne of God. And history has not been consummated yet. It's, it's coming. And so this scroll is unrolled to reveal the prophetic history. What's coming? And here it says, they sang a new song. They unrolled the scroll saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you, talking to Jesus, the Lamb of God sitting on the throne. You were slain, and by your blood you purchased, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they together shall reign on the earth. That's a picture of where time is heading. This is a picture of where God is taking the world, where God is unfolding the biblical prophetic timeline and one of the things that is clearly on God's heart in the throne room in heaven, where's it all going? And the leaders of heaven, the mysterious creatures, the angels say, Jesus, you died for this. Your blood bought people, every tongue, tribe, and nation to be one, serving together, leading the kingdom of God on earth. That's the beginning. That's the end. And right at the cross, what do we see? Ephesians 2, 14 to 15. He himself is our peace. He, Jesus, has made the two groups one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose, hear this, Jesus' purpose on the cross was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Sin and the devil had done their work to divide. The devil has been a divider from the beginning. I mean, it started with Adam and Eve, goes to Adam and Eve, and then Cain and Abel, and just goes on and on. The devil's work has been division from the beginning. What did Jesus say? When they say, hey, how are you casting out these demons? We think you're from the devil. And Jesus says, no way. The house divided against itself will fall. That's the devil's work. So sin and the enemy had done their work from the beginning. 
Mission accomplished. There was division all over the place in humanity. And so what does it say? Now Christ came. His purpose. Now let's be clear. One of his purposes. His purpose was to reconcile humanity to God. First and foremost, that's the hope of the world. That we must be born again. Enter into the family of God. Be renewed, empowered with the Spirit. Become a new person, a new man with a new heart filled with the Spirit. The passage talks about that. It also specifically says his purpose was to destroy the dividing walls of hostility between two groups to bring peace to make them one new humanity. Wow. Once you see it, it's really clear. A division between any groups is not the heart of God. This hostility, the walls that are up, is what the enemy desired to do from the beginning and the purpose of Christ on the cross to make one new humanity and tear down walls of division. So, real quick, that was, there's, there's a beginning, end, and middle of the Bible to just root us in God's word, in God's heart, renew our minds from Scripture to be clear that racial reconciliation is a clear, clear goal of Scripture. From creation of the cross to the consummation of his kingdom, it's on God's heart. It is on God's heart that walls of hostility would be torn down and one new humanity in Christ would emerge and there would be peace. So what can we do to be a part of God's will, of God's heart? A few things here. First of all, I would just say, and this is not in your lift notes, But live with the end in mind. Live with the goal in mind. So we'll get into some specifics, but if we see in Scripture first and foremost, that's why we got to walk through it. And there's much more to do, or it could be, but this is, you know, trying to cut down my two-hour sermons. Live with the end in mind. And do we not see clearly where Scripture is heading? What God's Word says? So if this is true, like anything else, if we, can, if we can see from God's word that this is clearly a goal, a value, part of his heart, part of his kingdom coming then and now, if we live with that in mind, that changes how we, how we it informs us how to live. If that's a goal, I mean, we are goal-oriented around here. We want to see kingdom breakthrough. So as we see the goals of God, where he's desiring to take things in his kingdom, which begins now and grows into the fullness of consummation, once we know God's goals, it shapes everything of how we live. So we want to live with this goal in mind. And so let's get super practical. How can we be a part of God's will? Number one, live from compassion, not judgment. 
And really all four of these things can be applied to relationship in general. I mean, you could insert in some very real ways, you could insert marriage or (laughs) making friends or how to interact with your neighbors or how to just develop healthy relationships. I mean, these are things from God's word that are all over the place. But let's specifically, let's challenge ourselves as, as strong believers who love that good challenge from God's word, people of character. Let's challenge ourselves specifically, specifically to look at what's going on in our world right now in the divisions that are taking place. How could we be a part of God's solutions? Number one, live from compassion, not judgment. So Jesus modeled this. When he saw the crowds, it says in Matthew 9, 26, what happened? He had judgment upon them for all their numerous sins. Well, he could have, because it's just a crowd. So it's full of lustful people and probably some adulterers and some cheaters and, and some villains and some tax collectors and some people that have done wrong, that caused him to come to earth because they've messed up and sinned so much. This, this, is a, this is not, oh, he looked upon the holy and perfect crowd. It's just a crowd of people. Which, which What does that mean? It's full of sinners that he needed to come to die for. So, how did he respond to this crowd of sinners? He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word compassion in the Bible is a very important one. We've talked about it before. It talks about this this gut-level visceral reaction of like, hey, that's not okay. God has better. There's this empathetic feeling what they feel. Or like some people like to say, appropriately, it's, it's feeling what they feel like walking in someone else's shoes. It's a common phrase, but it's a very biblical one when we're talking about what compassion is. Jesus chose compassion. Because look, he's the son of God. He could have brought up all their sins, right? This is a random group of people, a random group of sinners. So in that moment, look what lens is he seeing people with? Is it the lens of judgment and condemnation of all that they've done wrong? No, he chose with compassion to enter into Feeling what they were going through. How did they feel in that moment? In the midst of being sinners, and to everything we know, unrepentant sinners. But what does it say? With compassion, he was able to feel that they felt harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. There is an incredible power to choose to put on the lens of Christ, to choose to put on the lens of grace. How many of you know it's really easy to find what's wrong with the person next to you? You already know. So let's take a minute. Let's interact. Go ahead and tell them. This is what I see is your problems. Go. Ready? Go. No, just kidding. It's not hard to point out problems in other people. That's not a spiritual gift. Jesus intentionally puts on the lens of 
undeserved goodness and grace and to a group of sinners chooses to feel what they feel, which is they are in the midst of being sinners and all their issues, they're lost, they're harassed, they're helpless, they're scared. If we can ask the Spirit of God to help us feel what other people feel, to lead with compassion, just this is relationships in general. Try it. Lead with condemnation and judgment. See how it works out for you. Yeah, you got a great marriage, don't you? Lead with compassion is the way of Christ. To say, I'm going to first try to feel what you feel. That honors the image of God in you. And brings me off of my, my, my holy throne of perfection. Where I see all your problems. Jesus lifts up the good Samaritan who does exactly this. In Luke 10, 33, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he helped out this, this person who had been beat up. But we have to see the, the division in the story that every person listening would, this is why it's so shocking, that a Samaritan helped a Jew. I mean, in that time, you really could not find a more, more walls of division than between a Samaritan and a Jew. They are real. This is not a cute little story. There is hatred, real hatred. Samaritans and Jews had gone to armed conflict against one another multiple times in their history. There was an absolute hatred, absolute walls of division. It's by everything, by religion, by geography, by history, by race. And Jesus lifts up one who is supposedly on for, to the listener, the Samaritan. That's the one that has all the problems. That's the one who's all wrong. That's the one who's supposedly on the wrong side of all those walls. We're over here on the right side. That's the guy who's on the wrong side. And Jesus lifts him up as the hero of the story and simply says, what does he do? He, he, he lives out being a good neighbor. He shows compassion. Just felt what the other guy was going through. A very, very basic level of, man, it's probably not really cool to get beat up and be within you know, an inch of your life on the side of the road when, when the priests pass by and the rabbis pass by and the self-righteous pass by, that's, that, that probably doesn't feel very good. I'm just going to stop and maybe give him a little water. And Jesus says, <laughs> that is the heart of God. In some ways, it's incredibly simple. And number two, to take a posture of learning and listening. Again, maybe I kind of feel like this is a good marriage message, but it's so applicable. James, not that I need to work on it. <laughs> James 1.19. Can I get an amen? Now you're quiet. Oh, okay. <laughs> James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, everyone should be quick to share your wisdom with the world and how much you know. 
Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. A posture of listening and learning, not assumption. That alone can change the world. It can change a relationship. To love and honor the image of God in someone long enough to slow down, refrain from assumptions, and just listen. That itself can literally heal the relationship. I'm so proud of our mayor. I want to show a picture. Last Sunday, while we were in church, he was doing this out in the community, posted it on Facebook, and he's a genuine guy. So I believe very genuine what he's saying right here. So his post was this. Today, while fueling up at the Circle K, instead of being in church, I could see the demonstrators. No, just kidding. The guy's awesome. I could see the demonstrators waving signs at the intersection of Newport and Hahn Roads. I ask myself, what would other mayors do? Well, not this, what you're about to do, but anyways, he's nice, he's humble. I thought about my friend, Neil Winter, who I would agree would do this. Neil Winter, this is our prior mayor. The mayor we lost in 2018. I said a short prayer, then just walked over to, quote, thank them for demonstrating in a peaceful way. Some expressed their frustrations with society and unfair treatment. Some asked me to encourage our new police department to treat those in custody with respect and dignity. As I was leaving, a lady said, Mr. Mayor, because you are here listening, these young people are being heard. And you know, that's all they want. Probably not all they want, but it's a great start. A great, I mean, that, that is a Christ-like, heaven-minded, easy way to begin the relationship. I, I, our sheriff, Chad Bianco, which that guy is just more and more awesome. The more he puts out, I'm like, wow, I love that guy. And he is, again, strong believer. And living in us. So he's in charge of all of the police force in Riverside County. And I'm just feeling so good about that. The way he just, more and more, the more he says, it's like, dude, you are modeling Jesus. It's like, that's what it looks like to be in a government position. And, and you're not proselytizing, but you're, you're you in your position with high character are doing things that who's going to disagree with having people of high character in law enforcement. So I'm just, here's a little picture. This is him on, I think it was Sunday, again. So 5,000 plus people are protesting in, in, in Riverside. It's a peaceful protest so far, but we can see, as we've seen on the news, that can change real quick, right? He's got 100 officers with him. He walks right into the middle of 5,000 people protesting. And you know, if you don't know, the police can maybe be looked at as, as, as not on the same side. Maybe. So he walks right into the middle, and what does he do? He takes a knee. Takes a knee. That is the physical gesture of both compassion and listening. That's a vulnerable position for an officer to be in. 
is a physically vulnerable position. That's not, that's not how you defend yourself. That's not how you protect yourself in a crowd of 5,000 when it could, get, it could change quickly. To me, that's Jesus in the flesh. Modeled compassion and listening in one simple gesture of I'm going to take a knee and reach out my hand and say, I'm listening. Building bridges. Number three, build relationships. In, it, excuse me. <laughs> my brain worked too fast there. I was ready to preach before I get my word out. Build relationships with people different than you. Luke 5, 27 to 30 tells a story. There's multiple layers to it, as there always is in Scripture. But let's read the story. Luke 5, 27. So Jesus is going out, and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. So if you don't know, that's probably a summarized version of their conversation. <laughs> probably. It's probably much more lengthy, where Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. He talked about salvation. He talked about this... This new kingdom, repent and believe and follow me. So leaving everything, Levi rose and followed him. So then Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Notice the specific question. It doesn't say, why did you offer forgiveness of sins? Why did you say he could go to heaven? Why did you say salvation is upon you? They were enraged that he was eating with them. Because what's happening on a social level is... is, is wildly significant. So much that scholars have a whole dedication of a topic that they call table fellowship. It's not the same in our society. It's, it's kind of similar, but not even close. And I, so, it's so vividly in my mind. I remember 17 years ago I learned about this in seminary, but I remember exactly because it's like so, wow, Jesus did that on purpose. So table fellowship is absolutely about social status. The society was structured around social status, around class, around value. You only ate, you only ate and fellowshiped with people of your same social status, class, value. To give or receive an invitation to a meal, it, that in itself, both the invitation and the reception of it, is a declaration of social equality. So Jesus befriending people, both giving and receiving invitations to share meals with people not like him at all, not from his side of the tracks, not his education level, not his status as a rabbi, not his prestige as one with followers. Jesus, embodying the heart of heaven and embodying a foretaste 
of the kingdom coming intentionally and genuinely befriends and builds bridges with the so-called dregs of society. That almost entirely is what the Pharisees are enraged about. It's in the question. Why would a rabbi eat with them? And Jesus says, this is God's heart. You want to see the heart of the Father? See me. Watch me. Watch what I do and what I say. This is Ephesians 2 taking place. That's not a theoretical passage that Christ died on the cross to break down walls of hostility and make one new family of God. Jesus is living that out in his lifetime. And he's showing us you can't break down walls very well if you just stay on your side of the wall. It's not a theoretical wall. It's a real one. It's a relational one. It's a spiritual one. It might be a a status one. It might be a race one. It might be a class one. It might be a gender one. Jesus, if you see in the Gospels, does all that, and it ticks off the religious leaders all the time. How are you sitting with a Samaritan woman? You, You hear their question? What do you want with her? Meaning, this doesn't make sense to us, Rabbi, because the only reason you would sit with a woman at a well alone is because you're soliciting sex from her. That doesn't compute. There's no other possible reason you, a Jewish rabbi, would sit with a Samaritan woman. It literally doesn't compute. And Jesus is modeling, if you want to break down walls and create one new family of God, you actually have to push through the walls that are there. And lastly, this is exciting. This is exciting. I I like this message, don't you? I mean, come on. We're getting excited. There's so much opportunity right now to see the kingdom of God Breaking through in the midst of all the chaos the enemy's trying to do, it, oh, our world is so ripe to see these kinds of things take place in the kingdom of God advance. So lastly, number four, be a voice for those who aren't being heard. Directly out of the Bible. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights Of all those who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And Isaiah 117 came up in my studies this week, and I saw it on Yuli's Facebook page. This is the good verse. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Those two verses are are so rich and full. They also carry biblical assumptions of a fallen world. It is an assumption of Scripture that in a broken and fallen world, there will be some in power 
who don't use their power as God intended for goodness and justice, as Romans 13 says it's supposed to be. But rather, the power is used to oppress with injustice. You can be a student of history and just look at how many different times in different ways when government, it doesn't have to be government, could be any position of leadership, church leadership, business leadership, economic, social leadership, God says leadership is meant to provide safety, to provide protection, to provide justice, to provide goodness. And so let's wrestle with the reality of what happens in a broken and fallen world. Very, very frequently, those in leaders, those in leadership, if they're broken and fallen and not following the heart of Jesus and not renewed with the Spirit of God and empowered with the Spirit, having their minds renewed, they are going to see those that they have power over as people that can be used. So injustice takes place. It can happen anywhere. So a normal situation in Scripture is that the, there are those who will be oppressed and that their cause or case is not going to be heard and therefore God calls on those with power to be a voice for those whose voice is not yet being heard. Actually, really clear. In these verses, that's exactly what they say. If you see an injustice and it's not being heard and you have the power to help it be heard, speak up, help it be heard. I want to show a few examples of just what does that look like? Well, Taking place this week, it can look like a lot of different things. But I want to show some of our heroic police officers. In Fargo, North Dakota, this is a police officer joining one of the protests in front of the police station and holding one of the signs of the protesters. That belie I believe that says, one race, the human race. Holding it up, holding hands, not practicing social distancing, but I think God thinks it's okay. And what is happening? This is in front of the police station. The group of peaceful protesters is saying, we're not being heard. And the police officer recognizes his place of power and says, I agree with your message. I agree that you're not being heard. I have a voice. Let me lend my voice and join with you. On the next one in, in Kansas City, another police officers, two police officers here holding a sign, protesters in the background, and they're holding a sign saying, end police brutality. Wow. Now, we know, and let's say first and foremost, the vast, vast majorities of officers are heroic and wonderful in their character, and it's a few bad seeds that makes a bad reputation, but still a very bold move. For these police officers, I mean, really? Police officers to say, you know what? But you know what? I think it's awesome. They're saying that we agree too. We don't want to see police brutality. That's a great message. But if your voice isn't being heard fully and we have a voice as police officers, we want to speak up with you. We agree, but you're not being heard, so we're going to help you be heard with our power. Awesome. Santa Cruz, 
just taking a knee side by side with protesters. Just a physical demonstration in solidarity. And that does a lot because the protester on their own most likely feels, I've been saying this message for a long time. I'm not being heard. And so the recognition that a police officer just joining next to you, bending a knee in solidarity, beautiful example. And lastly, uh, in Camden, New Jersey, just again, another police officer flashing the gang sign of peace. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> flashing a peace sign. Just saying, hey, the message is simple. We're standing together in solidarity. So those, those are, in our present day, unexampled. Are they the only examples? Of course not. But they are beautiful, I believe, courageous, even heroic, bold examples of living out the heart of God, saying when you see an injustice, to the degree that you have the opportunity and you have power, can you speak up and share that power so that justice Justice's voice is heard. So in all this, I get really excited because I believe the world is watching. And so that's where we've got to be aware that all the, everyone who thinks they've got a message because the world's got the attention is going to share that message. And that's what you're hearing right now. And that's why Facebook, I, I've got the love and the hate thing going on right now. These are all from Facebook. So ooh, that's some encouraging stuff. Those are great examples of a path forward. And then there's those posts where I'm like, oh, you know, like but it's because everybody's unloading. Oh, that's probably bad language. Everyone is sending their messages if they've got one. So be aware the enemy's going to send his message. He's going to try to do anything and everything to divide. So if you're hearing that, you're feeling that, you're partnering with that, you're, you're being swayed by, oh, division. Stop right there. Just catch yourself. That's not God's agenda. God's agenda is to be part of breaking down walls of hostility for one new humanity under the lordship of Christ. And so th that, that's where I get excited is what message is going to be heard by the world right now? The, the messages are competing. So what is the, the, the good news that's going to be grabbed onto? Is Jesus' message going to be heard? And so that's where, as the church, we've got an opportunity because the world's listening, our neighbors are listening, your Facebook friends are listening, the city is listening, city leaders are listening. So, wow, do we have an opportunity to shine the message of the kingdom of God, his heart for justice, his heart to tear down walls of hostility and create one new humanity in Christ, thus making peace. So let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to do this. Let's just take a moment. There's a, in the lift notes at the end a, a responding to God, as we always like to do, where we just ask, and we'll take a minute of quiet. Holy Spirit, essentially the question is, God, what are you wanting to say to me in this message. If you want to get a little bit more specific, ask the Holy Spirit, how are my actions and attitudes moving me and others towards the clear goal of Scripture that walls of division be destroyed and one new humanity in, Christ's, in Christ emerges? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just lead this time 
speak to each of us what we need to hear today. Let's take a minute. Lord, we thank you that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, is blowing in our midst with winds of change. You are bringing turnover of things that should not be standing, and you are bringing a furthering of the things that you purchased on the cross for humanity. And so, God, we just thank you for the gifts that you purchased for us. We thank you that you died to create one humanity. Every nation, tongue, tribe, race, group of people, you died to make us one as you and the Father are one. And so God, we thank you that your spirit is moving in our midst. You are moving through our nation. And God, I thank you that this boiling point that our nation has hit is now going to bring your kingdom and your good pleasure. We thank you that there is a heavenly shift happening in our nation on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you that your kingdom, that your goodness, that your equality, that your justice, that your wholeness and your heart for every single human, that that is what's rising up in our nation. And God, we, um, we are sinners. We need you. We need you to transform our minds and our hearts like you talk about in Romans 12 and Ephesians 1. And I just ask for a special uh, blessing and movement of your spirit to open the eyes of our hearts like you talk about in Ephesians 1. Open the eyes of our hearts. Give us your spirit of revelation so that we can live beyond what we alone on our own are capable of, but we can live into your heart, that you would expand our heart, expand our mind, expand um, just our insides so that we can be a bridge, so we can grab hands with one another, and we can live out what you died for. We can live out the picture of what heaven is like here on earth, and now, and God, we thank you that you are on the move, that you are making this happen, and we partner with you. We say yes, and we say amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We are with you. We are your people on mission with you on the earth, and God, we say, we say yes and amen, and thank you. We say thank you in advance for your kingdom rising up in goodness and glory and justice and love and that hatred would just fall by the wayside and the only thing that rises is your love, your justice, and your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. I will sing a new song I will sing a new 
dance a new dance like